0: Hey guys, what's up? This is Andy forsella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio, but when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project. The MFCEO.com. i got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together.
1: Welcome to the Big MX Radio podcast brought to you by SickWix.com for all of your soy wax candle needs. Uh, these things are awesome. They burn super smooth. Uh, maybe I'll bring one down for a young Matt Weller to enjoy um in in his time off uh, after Millville coming up this weekend. This podcast is also brought to you by MedTerra CBD. You can go to medterracbd.com right now and enter discount code Radio 15 That saves you 15% every single time that you sh- that you shop there uh, whether you need to get your day going with the uh the morning capsules that get you up and out of uh, out of bed and and getting your day rolling a whole lot better than a cup of coffee will you need some uh, mental clarity throughout the day that's what the tinctures for if you have some ailments some some soreness uh so, like rather than using rub a rub a535 uh, reach for Medterra's cooling cream. It's awesome. It'll make you feel a whole lot better than any of that topical cream stuff will. And when it's time to go to bed, get yourself to up de- decent nicely. sleep, it's time for CBD plus melatonin. Literally, all the way around the calendar and all the way around the clock, Medterra's CBD helps me out. And you can save 15% by entering discount code BIGMXRADIO15 on your order, and I literally do all of that off the top of my head. The rest of this interview will also be off the top of my head, and we're completely weighing it with my good friend, uh, who I've actually never met in my entire life, oddly enough, but that changes in two days' time. Matt Weller, what's up? What is up, Brad? Thanks for having me. That was a minute, 30 seconds of just, like, me spewing out stuff.
2: It was great. It went off like a hitch. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Let's do this, buddy. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, I set sail going down south. We're going to stop at Mike's Parcel Pickup and park, pick up a bunch of crap that I need to get from Maxima as well as LS2 Helmets. And I think I have some other stuff that I got delivered there. They're nice enough to uh, basically use their address as a, as a an American mailbox for uh, Canadians who want things shipped to the border. And then we uh, go back, go across the border and and, and come right back across and, and pretend that we didn't pick up as many things that we actually did. Most Mostly uh, car parts, motocross parts, and everything else in between. But uh, I'm excited to go down to Millville. It's a bit of an annual, annual pilgrimage, even though I haven't been for the last two years, which just hurts my heart uh, because I love going to this race. Uh, things have gotten in the way in the past, but no longer. My, my press credential has been approved. I will be on those hollow grounds Saturday morning, probably around 7 a.m. Uh, rolling in there with uh, rock stars James Hansen, I'm looking forward to that. You will also be in attendance, um, Matt. This is a big. This is a big race on the schedule. We love going to supercross races. We like the 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 ballet that is supercross with the the these 450s that go the length of a football field and touch the ground three or four like maybe even. Three two or three times from one end to the other, but this is the outdoors. This is a fist fight, and uh, this is what we compete in and still ride and still do all that. This is what we relate to. This is why uh, motocross is so special.
2: Yeah, and this is a man's track, in my opinion. Heck it yeah. can be rough and brutal, and with the weather forecast, it could be really brutal.
1: Well, I, I agree. Like uh, With the, the heat that they're expecting tomorrow, Uh, you as well as I know that, uh, prairie thunderstorms are not to fuck with, uh, it's going to come heavy, it's going to come hard, likely on Saturday, it probably won't be all day, it'll probably just be like a a couple of really uh, big thunder boomers that, uh, get the day off right, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally, uh, I totally agree, the skies very well could open up, and, uh, I know I was there in 2006 watching RC, uh, go around the track and around everybody uh you were probably in attendance as well and if you weren't you missed out and uh, there's been a, a ton of great millville's over the years um it like you said it's a great track it, it the the layout is challenging it's got different elevation for for a prairie track it's actually got more elevation than some of the other areas that uh, you think would have more elevations and stuff like that so uh, i really like it and of course there's a, some there's a hometown feel for a lot of those minnesota kids that come out of the woodwork and of course uh, jeremy or not jeremy Martin, alex martin will be on his game uh, given the fact that he literally grew up uh, about a hundred yards away from the sand whoops, this is going to be fun.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. This is the one the one outdoor that I go to every year, and I look forward to this weekend every year. So yeah, I'm ready to get on the road. Yeah,
1: man. Like, what uh, what's your game plan? Like, like how how is it best that Matt Weller goes about enjoying himself? A, a nationals weekend when do you like to roll in do you have a place that is there a certain uh, like hotel or a different town that you like to stay I like to stay in Rochester myself um, like what what's the game plan and then uh, um, also uh, where can you be found uh, around six o'clock after the races are done because uh, that's as important as anything talking about it afterwards
2: well uh, my game plan for this year is actually to leave saturday morning about 7 a.m and drive tell her Um, i'm only about three three and a half hours away so i'm driving up i sold one of my bikes and i'm actually delivering it about a mile away from the track and i'm gonna drop the bike off and go over and start my day there you go
1: and uh so Um, just Pedal to the metal, and then, uh, so you'll be there uh, just about the, like, you'll, you'll be there just after, I guess, uh, first qualifyings are done. Uh, watch those guys yeah. make it look way too easy. That's the thing I always found is amazing. When you go to watch, and, like, I've, I've raced press day a couple of times, uh, or not press day, uh, I've raced amateur day a couple of times uh, over the years, and, like, in a section that, like, I was, like, rowing through, those guys just find a little spot, and they just clear the whole thing. Uh, or a set of jumps where I'm doubling it, they're tripling that thing, no problem. Uh, it's pretty wild to see, and, uh, and like, one of the things that always blows me away, of course, the sand whoops, a spot where, where you and I, mere mortals, uh, if we get a little out of shape, uh, we roll the throttle off and regroup. Those guys just grab for more gas, and, and, and they, they hit those things. It, it's, it's like they can't put a wheel wrong while they, while you're watching them, and, like, seemingly like, everything's going wrong at the same time. Like there's a million times that I'd be spat to the ground and those guys just keep pinning it.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're they're clearly world-class athletes. I usually try to make it over to the entrance of the sand whoops at least once during the day and just sit there and watch those guys. And in your top two or three guys are always just dialed, but then you start getting tired at the end of the day, late in the second motos and, I don't care who it is; they're struggling, and it's it's quite impressive to see.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And uh, like the thing is, for me, nationals have sort of like kind of transformed a little bit for me. Obviously, now because I attend as a, uh, a an accredited member of the media, um, as 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 laughable as that is, actually, in in in, in all reality, I'm still a huge fan of the sport. And when I, st- I went there for the first time in 2006 uh, as a fan, I was purely a fan, uh, like. Hollering at Ricky uh, from from the edge of the fence and asking for jerseys and getting autographs and collecting posters. How has that transition been like for you? Obviously, you're still a huge fan. Obviously, you still uh, love to watch these guys, but you're also a little bit more impartial than most fans are. Like, I, I don't see you having like crazy. Die hard, uh, allegiances to anybody on the, on the field. You sort of look at things, uh, from like somewhere like a thousand foot view rather than a lot of fans who seem to be a little bit more, uh, minute in the way that they, uh, they judge the sport. Um, so how does, the, how has that changed? And like, at, for you, and at some point, like, were you that guy who was like asking Jeff Stanton for posters? or am I dating you too much that way? Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Wyndham or something. Who, who are you asking for posters? And and then when did that change for
2: you? I don't think that I ask for anybody's autograph until, I mean, we're talking recent, um, probably as recent as December of last year when I was at Cooperland, I got Guy Cooper's autograph. That, uh, when I go to the races, I, I could care less. Um, I I go there to enjoy it. You know, I'm not going to go stand in line for hours upon hours and, um, wait for autographs. Um, you know, it's, there's too many little kids. Everybody else, you know, wants to get in there, get their, their shot at glory. I just stand back and take it in.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I, myself. I like to like when I was a kid. I like I was, I was uh poster and uh, autograph fiend. I went like I literally. My dad would bug me about going into the pits at the Canadian Nationals trying to get uh, Darcy Lange and and uh, and Blair Morgan and stuff like that. Posters and posters. Like I'd come back a second time, and the mechanics would tell me to scram. And uh, no, I absolutely love that stuff. And uh, and nowadays, honestly, the the guys who I've really the only guy. I've that I've gotten an autograph from or gotten to sign something since I started doing my podcast back in 14 was Roger DeCoster because obviously, uh, he predates, uh, anything that I've ever done. Uh, he's still the man in my opinion. And, uh, I, I just, uh, I just absolutely like, I really look up to Roger I think it's cool to see him still around and stuff like that. I had him sign a book for me, uh, to give to my dad. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like uh, I can't think of the last time that I, uh, I approached a current rider uh, to have him sign something. I think they've signed a couple of jerseys for me. I don't really ask them to do that. More like I want uh, memorabilia to sort of remember some of the interviews that I've done. Like I, I like Colt Nickel jerseys just because uh, Colt is probably uh, like low-key one of the best interviews in the sport. Super well-spoken Sp- very, like, explains himself extremely well. He's passionate about what he talks about. I'm a Colt Nichols fan, so I've got more than a couple of jerseys of his. He usually signs them, but he doesn't always sign them. But uh, yeah, like as far I'm not like, going out there uh, with a pen and a pad, hoping these guys scribble something on my on my stuff. But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how that sort of uh, evolves for people sometimes
2: yeah and i've you know i've always been kind of a shy soft-spoken kid so you know even as a kid i didn't really i guess care um i mean it, it dates back as far as 1996 st louis jeremy mcgrath was undefeated at the time i stood in line as a 14 year old boy to meet jeremy mcgrath my hero and the line was too long and they ran out of time and never happened so fast forward to I believe 2015 Loretta Lynn's Jeremy McGrath is there signing autographs so I walk up to him get his autograph and that's kind of where that starts but uh, um, I guess I shouldn't say that um, Guy Cooper was my first autograph he was the first person I ever like asked for an autograph but you know that, that was pretty cool that it took me all those years though to get Jeremy's autographs so Fair enough. something no, I'll-, I'll hang on to for me, like it's all about
1: meeting these people. I love the like getting when I got I got to do a radio show with uh, with uh, Jeremy in uh, in California. That was huge for me. I like just meeting these guys and just like um like I try not to make a big deal of it because they're of course they're humans and whatnot. But uh, yeah, they're still kings among men, especially when you're talking about the king himself, Jeremy McGrath. Um, like, do you have a do you have a like or do you have like a top five? Uh, millville moments of course, you've been to a number of of nationals uh like over the years. what are some of the ones that stick out for you uh as before we sort of uh break down what we expect to see this weekend in uh in spring creek spring creek wow oh
2: man that's on the spot that's a tough one um, I don't know that I have a have a racing moment per se that just sticks out in my mind um maybe 2012 because i got to see james stewart race for the first time maybe in person that was the um, first time you'd seen him race in person yeah really
1: wow that's that surprises me
2: um Maybe, maybe St. Louis oh seven, but I don't, I don't think he was there. I think it was the wrong coast. So, no, I think that was the first time that I'd ever seen. No, 50s in by then. He might have been hurt. Yeah, so I don't remember. Um, 2012, the day after was we found out we were pregnant with our first child. That's probably my greatest memory from Millville. There you go. That that is uh, a that, that is a heck of a. Uh, uh, a memory right there. That'll, that'll
1: stick out for you. Honestly, uh, um, of course, I was at, uh, 2007. I went for, uh, uh, Ricky's last national. That was pretty cool. Uh, he was pretty much, like, uh, completely removed from motocross at the time. I think he had taken a couple weekends off. James was out, uh, the prior weekend at, at Redbud had tweaked a knee. So, and then, and, uh, same with Chad Reed. He was out for the rest of the series. So everyone was trying to figure out who it was gonna be ended up being Grant Langston that year, but seeing uh, r c uh absolutely destroy everyone on uh on the, his Suzuki that was pretty cool um of course in uh in it was thirteen when uh james and uh, and Trey went at it that was pretty cool There's been a ton of great years uh and this year will we'll, we'll be no uh no different two fifty class four fifty class let's talk about it a little bit here um Starting out with the 250s, Adam Ciencerolo holds uh, about a 25 point lead right now. Uh, it's he's had an impressive summer. He's he's won the majority of the nationals, but of course Dylan Fernandes is coming off of a 1-1 and a little bit of momentum. Of course, the two week break takes a little bit off of that fastball, but for the most part, I'm excited to see these guys go at it. it it's a three horse race right now. It's uh, it's between those top runners, and uh, Adam's got a little bit of a cushion, but it's not huge
2: yeah i mean i i was trying to think back the other day on how the last two or three races have played out and thinking has this time off slowed any momentum for Ferrandis? has it gained any momentum for ac and you know i think i think the first moto is obviously going to be the telltale sign there but uh you know from all these podcasts before you know i'm I'm on the AC bandwagon. I'm I'm hoping that he can
0: come in and
2: do what he does and go 1-1 and grow that point lead a little bit more. But, uh, man, I'm thinking Brandon is on fire right now, and uh, he might just keep on uh, clicking off overalls, and uh, I think he might uh, maybe sneak away with the championship again.
1: Absolutely. I, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's coming down to those two guys, honestly. Uh, one of the things I'm starting to notice about Justin Cooper is that uh, he really seems to be one of those guys who um, he excels when the track is smooth and, it, and it's, it doesn't have a ton of bumps on it. Qualifying practice, he shows his speed. First race of the, uh, of, the, of the day, if you remember, I think all of his moto wins are in the first moto of the day um and as the race and the as the day gets longer um i think he struggles with both bike setup when the track gets gets rough and i i don't know if he's as technical as uh, some of the guys that he's currently racing with including AC and Fernandez um and i think that's been hurting his uh, his uh his moto finishes later on uh, in the day as well as uh, when we get to these technical tracks which uh like uh, millville is one of those tracks where um, for the most part there's some flatter corners but uh, there are some off-cambered uh, corners that are high up on the hill you go down to the bottom of the hill before you go back up that's a tricky corner um the corners after the uh, after Mount Martin those things are, uh, are are pretty uh tricky in and of themselves so um maybe uh, this isn't like I'd say in, in qualifying Justin Hill or not justin Hill Justin cooper will uh, will show some serious speed because the track uh, in basically full race prep is uh, is a freeway and you can definitely throw down some fast lap times uh, earliest in the day i see uh justin cooper uh even if he has really good qualifying i i, I think he's going to struggle uh to uh to be inside the top 2 i think uh obviously uh he's 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 had some race wins and he 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 has won a race this year and he's definitely in that top 3 but uh um i i think the other two guys might get the better of him on on this weekend
2: um I think you're you're exactly right and I don't even have Justin Cooper in my top 3. Uh we have a little little wager going on at work right now between a couple of us on top 3 in each class and uh I got laughed at by not putting him in my top 3. Um I just think there's a lot better talent right now this track um in general I just I don't think uh at the end of the day when it's choppy and rough it it's going to be his track.
1: No, I, 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 definitely agree. I think, uh, AC, this thing, like, he's had good motos here in the past. Of course, some, some, uh, some rookie mistakes and some, uh, rookie mistakes that seem to linger a a little bit for him, uh, after that. But, uh, no, I, I think, uh, this season is a little bit different for him. And, uh, I, I expect, um, I expect good starts. I think, uh, it's a long start in Millville, um, so a lot of motors definitely going to help. I think that hurts guys on Hondas. I think that hurts guys on Suzuki's. Uh, the Cowies and, and the Yamahas have shown that they've got the most amount of motor uh, consistently in the class, which is interesting because in the past um, we had seen, uh, like, Zach Osborne on the, the Huskies. And uh, I think who was who his teammate at the time also ripping off starts. Um, and uh, that was impressive. That yeah. seems to have gone away a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is like the the start is always very dependent, especially in the four this 250 class, where uh you go all the way back to the 15th, 15th, 16th in the uh, the points, and you're you're looking at uh, factory supported guys. In fact, all the way back to 20th in points, you've got factory supported guys, which is pretty ridiculous, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to get a good start, and uh, it's a long start. It's a left handed start. Uh, you can, you can push wide in that, in that, uh, that, that first corner, but, uh, guys do get pinched off, so, uh, I expect, uh, um, I, I expect, uh, uh, Adam to get a good start, and I, I basically, I think it's gonna be a table set for two. I think, uh, uh, him and Dylan Franis have basically made themselves the class of the field, and, uh, if those guys are able to square off, it could be, we could have a really cool fight on our hands.
2: I think you're exactly right. Um, as far as a start though, it's definitely going to be, I think a Yamaha is going to get that start. Um, I, I would not be one bit surprised if Justin Cooper doesn't pull a whole shot and lead the first lap. Um, I think if I was playing uh fantasy, I would probably put him in as a first lap leader. Um, but I, after, after what I saw from uh, Amart at Redbud, I'm really wondering if he doesn't have that bike dialed. And home track, I could see Amart getting the whole shot. So mm-hmm. I could I, see that. Leading some laps. Yeah. Um, he's on my podium. Um, again, I got laughed at. But uh, I got Amart on my podium. So we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed. He, the, those guys go good here,
1: honestly. Jeremy,
2: back in 13,
1: uh, a rookie year, I think he led like 16 minutes of the first moto. It was totally wild. He'd never led laps as a pro, period. But of course, hometown race and the whole nine. And uh, those guys, I think at one point, uh, I think in 2016, those guys were literally one and two. That was insane. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's extra special to go to these races and, and see these guys and, and especially literally hometown, home track, uh, guys like Alex Martin. I think that's, uh, he hit the nail on the head there. He could be that dark horse that knocks uh, a guy like Justin Cooper off that podium, uh, in the, uh, the 250 class. Let's talk four fifties. It's been, uh, the, the momentum has sort of been seized by Marvin Muskan in the, in the la- last few races. He's won some motos. He's shown uh, some serious speed, but at that same time, Eli Tomac still has a, a decent points lead. He's 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 honestly shown himself to be uh, extremely dominant. He's got a thirty-four point lead at, coming into a track where we've seen him stretch it out in the past. Um, like I was talking to Dave Drakes on the live uh, Instagram live yesterday, and he agreed. Um, it's just it's too much. Um, too much that Eli uh, like. There's not enough motos left, and Eli Tomac's going to win, probably. Can you spot him at least a third of the motos going out? So if there's, uh, what is there, this is this is round eight uh, after this first...
2: There's five rounds. There's five there's rounds, rounds to go. There's the ten motos.
1: Uh, like, I think you could, prob- you could probably pencil Eli in for at least four of those moto wins. So where does he need to finish in those other motos uh, for Marvin to catch him? And, it, it, like, it's... No, it's almost getting to the point where Marvin Moose can't not, not uh, he doesn't have his destiny in his own hands right this
2: year. No, and honestly just from re- watching Eli ride this year, I think he's I don't want to say he's found his maturity, but he seems like he's maybe riding with a cooler head. You know, he's not he's not going out and trying to, to kill it and take a win or risk throwing it away. He seems to be riding with a little bit more um brain, I guess. Let's just throw that out there. Okay. Um
1: he's a thinking and he's willing thinking to racer. now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's willing to take a third or fourth instead of a, a first. And I think that's gonna play into his hands. He's gonna be more consistent. Even if he doesn't win the overall every time, I think he's gonna be on the podium and I you mean know, that'll that'll carry him on to uh being a three time champ.
1: No, I, I totally agree. And uh, like this weekend, Eli could come out um, and and just just lay one down, go uh, go one one, make at least six points up on Marv. And uh, honestly, with the talent in the field, we're getting Zach out, Osborne back, uh, Cooper Webb's going to be uh, refreshed and ready to rip. Uh, Blake Baggett, although has been inconsistent, has uh, has shown uh, race winning speed. Uh, I expect Justin Bogle to have insanely good starts this weekend, so he might make some noise. Um, it's not as easy as just picking off, like, second or first for, for, Eli, uh, for Marvin. He's gonna, he's gonna have some guys that take up, take some points away from him, and as much as Eli have, will also uh, have some formidable guys to work with, I think that, uh, when it comes to just raw speed and, uh, and talent outdoors, it's, uh, I gotta go with the two-time champ.
2: I uh, Yeah, I totally agree. The only thing is he cannot get a bad start. I mean he, He's got to be able to pull consistent starts and not have to battle through the field. Because if he's out there in 15th place or 10th place on the second or third lap, that's not going to get the job done. So he's going to have to be consistent. He's going to have to pull starts. And I mean, we know he can go fast there. I mean, last year, he was four seconds a lap faster than those guys on what the second moto, I think. So he can go fast we know he can he just he needs to get starts
1: yeah no I, like i i totally agree like uh, i don't i don't know if uh um like last year eli's starts were like insanely good i like they, they seem to be completely changed for outdoors and he was consistently up there this year um he just he seems to have gotten back to uh, back in 17 when uh it was like um it was almost like a on a, a moto by moto basis you'd be looking for that green fender somewhere in the pack uh, uh during that first lap and and that seems to uh be a continuous thing it's a bummer but uh if he's able to fight through if he's able to get those good starts it's going to be a walk in the park and uh uh he won't have to do those late moto charges like we've seen him do um but uh yeah either way i i expect uh a, a rejuvenated rested and recharged um Eli Tomac to come out swinging in Millville. He's my uh, my prediction for your overall winner. Uh, and then uh, rounding out your podium, I seriously think that uh, Marvin Musquin is going to be nipping at his heels in second place, only because he needs to get the he, he can't have a, a really bad weekend. And, uh, he just straight up can't have can't let it happen. And uh, coming back after a uh, one weekend off with a shoulder issue, I think he should be at full full capacity. Zach Osborne, I think he rounds out your podium.
2: That was that was my initial podium as well. And then I decided to pull Osborne because first weekend back is kind of a mystery. Um, I think with the cooler weather, I put Ken Rockson there in that third spot. And I also put Ken Rockson in as a uh, first-lap leader. There you
1: go. Like, you think like, like Ken's going to uh, really turn things around, of course. Uh, you, you're going to have to make your fantasy picks nice and early uh, because once you get into the pit – of, um, of Millville. Good luck getting any service whatsoever. So, uh, you might actually have to set your, uh, set your squad, uh, before uh, you go through the, the, the gates. Um, but, uh, well, Mine yeah. will
2: be picked, uh, tomorrow night. Mine's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be, um, a not, what's the word I wanna look for here? I'm not gonna go out on a limb and get a bunch of high handicappers. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pick it safe just because I won't be able to make any adjustments. So, I'm, I'm going to make safe picks and go with it and hope for the best.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I think that, uh, yeah, make some, makes. I, I honestly haven't been playing fantasy. Or maybe we should get on that. Video. I think that would uh, create more frustration for me on race day. Now, as it is right now, I just watch and enjoy, like, oh, look, someone DNF. No, no big deal. Uh, if that guy was on my fantasy team, I might be pulling my hair out. Um, but, yeah, yep. either way, uh, that might be something to, to look at in the, the near future. But, uh, um. Uh, do you know of anybody who's, uh, any local guys, either from your end of town or, uh, like around, uh, the Millville area or Minnesota that, uh, that are made, that are coming out that, uh, for those who are listening that play fantasy, maybe some dark host picks?
2: Well, we've got three or four guys locally here that are going, two of which will be their first ever attempt at making a national. Um, I would say most notably, would be Wade Brommel. Um He's local guy. He's made, uh, I think, three or four of the the motos so far this year, and done, you know, pretty respectful. Uh, been training at south of the border. Um, young kid, got a lot of heart, a lot of determination. I think uh, I think he'll be in. Uh, there's another local guy by the name of uh, Joseph Bauer. He was a 250 guy. Um, he's got himself on a 450 now. Um, I think he might be able to put it in the motos. I just, I don't know uh, results wise, you know, where, where he'd be. Hmm. Well, I guess uh, time
1: will tell. I have to keep track of the, uh, the time qualifying. Um, but uh, yeah, like it, 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 time will tell as far as uh, how those guys are going to end up. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you in, uh, in Millville, my friend, this is, uh, it's gonna be awesome, and uh, yeah, I can't wait. This is like going back to the uh, an American national, or of course I love my Canadian nationals. Got to go go to one about uh, about a month ago. Uh, but the, the U.S. stuff is just uh, that next level of of competition, and uh, I'll have some stickers for you, as well as uh, so hopefully some other swag, and uh, and hopefully just be able to uh, hang out and uh, maybe enjoy enjoy
2: a cold one later on. I'm looking forward to it. I, we've been trying to get together now for two or three years. And yep. Finally going to make it happen. Finally um, going to
1: make that happen. And make sure you bring that Honda for me. I need that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll let you get on the road and fight with the guy
1: that... that <laughs> <wants> it, <so. laughs> Who actually paid real money for it.
2: Who actually paid real money for it. Fair enough. I tried to pay you in Canadian he never dollars. never plans to ride it. Yeah, and yeah. That, really? That sucks. Yeah. Oh. Um, he's, he's got a collection. He's going to put it in his collection and... You know, that, to me, that speaks volumes for my, my work. Your you work, know. yeah,
1: absolutely. No kidding. He, he's looking to uh, to grab it and keep it, and, and that's it. But uh, that's cool. Honestly, I, I got my dad his uh, R- R- 1978 RM125. He's yet to even kick that thing over since I gave it to him three years ago, which is totally fine. He <laughs> can do whatever the hell he wants. He can just stare at it for yep. all I care. Um, you yep. know? That's, that's it. it's his prerogative. But uh, Matt Weller. On the Big MX Radio podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on once again, my friend. Looking forward to, uh, this weekend. There will be, uh, some great racing, whether or not there's thunderstorms. Uh, either way, there, there's gonna be some great racing, so we're excited about that. Uh, for, for those who aren't already following MX Rehab on Instagram, go ahead and do that if you want to see some of, uh, the, some of the works and the projects that Matt Weller has done in the past and also keep up with what he's got going on. Uh, and of course, M Weller, uh, five, seven, two is where is also, uh, one of my favorite follows on, uh, on the IG and, uh, yeah. Pleasure to have you on my friend.
2: Thanks Brad. Appreciate it.
1: No problem. Don't hang up just yet for podcasting. We're going to cut it off right there. Hey, Big MX listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode. Check out these commercials, support our sponsors. We'll be right back to the show. Thanks for listening. Hey Big M X listeners, let's talk a little bit about Sick Wicks candles. Sick Wicks is the small business that you may not have heard of so far, and that's why they're on the show right now. That's why we need to get you informed. Soy based candles are phenomenal. They're not made with the same harmful chemicals that a paraffin wax candle are made from, and the scents are unbelievable. You need to check these out. The Morning Moto smells like coffee. The Privateer smells like beer, as it should. All these awesome candles—you gotta check them out. They're motocross dedicated, and they—they—they uh, they, they burn nice and clean. They got that wood wick that sounds awesome. It, it pops and crackles just like a real fire, and uh, it's gonna make your garage smell better. It's gonna make your living room smell better, and if you take them into the bedroom, don't tell me about it, but enjoy it. You're gonna love these candles, and you can find them at SickWicks.com. Head there right now, enjoy them, and you're gonna love them absolutely. Check them out. Only recently have the health benefits of CBD products been acknowledged by the masses. CBD is every bit as powerful as it is misunderstood. In the past, we've known so little about a vital system that exists in every single one of us. Medterra CBD products promote wellness and overall improved health so that you can be your very best each day. A passionate and dedicated staff have developed an impressive lineup of CBD products which help as a sleep aid, an anti-inflammatory and for pain relief. Why choose Medterra CBD? Medterra CBD products are of the highest quality, purity tests are done extremely frequently and their responsive and dedicated customer care team will guide you through your CBD journey. For more information or to browse Medterra CBD's products, please visit www.medterracbd.com. Medterra CBD, our CBD, your health. Since 1979, Maxima USA has changed lubrication. Industry-leading products have equated to hundreds of championships wherever quality lubricants are needed. Maxima has built a reputation for great quality by earning lifelong customers one at a time. Customers who trust in the complete lineup of products from Maxima USA. From our flagship Caster 927 mixing oil to our famous SC1 and the full array of market leading products, Maxima has what you need on the track and in the garage. Maxima racing oils are proudly made in the USA. For more information, visit www.maximausa.com. Big MX listeners, Supercross season is coming, and that means the return of the collective experience. Nobody brings you closer. Nobody gives you an exclusive experience where you are part of a privateer's racing program throughout the day. I'm talking pre-race strategy, filming practice sessions, talking about the racetrack, meeting the riders, getting cool swag, getting to hang out with guys like Dave Drakes, getting to hang out with guys like me at the track, It's an awesome program, and the money goes right back to the privateers. You're actually supporting their racing program, and you get a really cool experience. Check it out. Google the Collective Experience. First thing that pops up, you can check out their intern program. You can check out all that fun stuff. You guys need to get on this program. Check it out. You can, like, Collective EX, I believe, on Instagram. Uh, The Collective XP is their uh, website, I believe. Check them out, The Collective Experience. Dave Drake's over there, great friend of mine, and he wants you guys to be part of this program. Check it out. Can't wait to see you there. The Collective Experience, a proud sponsor of the Big MX Radio Podcast. What's up, Big MX Radio listeners? I can't thank you enough for listening to this episode of the Big MX Radio podcast. It means so much to me that you guys would take time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Hopefully, you're entertained. Hopefully, you guys find some information that you didn't already get from another podcast. And uh, if you guys have any requests whatsoever on content you'd like to see... On the Big MX Radio Podcast, please send me either a direct message on Instagram. If you're not already following, I hope you do. It's bradgebhart88 on Instagram. And you can also find me via email, bradgebhart88 at gmail.com. Hit me up in the DMs. And uh, thank you again for listening to these uh, really important commercials. Uh, We do our best to uh, plug our sponsors. And I hope that you guys... Support our sponsors like Medterra CBD as well as uh, Maxima Racing Oils and uh, Fly Racing is coming on soon and uh, really looking forward to that. So thanks again for listening to the Big MX Radio Podcast. Garrett, Dale, all all my good friends that are listening, I really appreciate you guys uh, making the time to listen to the podcast and uh, thanks again and uh, let's get back to the show. Welcome to the Big MX Podcast Show brought to you by X-Brand Goggles, 204 Skate Shop, Tech One Designs. Capital Motorsports, Trans-Canada Motorsports, Westside Honda, Roy Borton Suspension Systems, Bulletproof Welding, Golden Tire, 38 Ride Shop, and Millennium. Wait, those guys don't pay their bills. I am Brad Gebhardt, your host, with me on the line, Chad Watts owner-operator of Watts Perfections down in North Carolina, but also uh, best known for his work as a mechanic with many of the top stars. Uh, starting in, uh, what year did you start there, uh, Chad? In uh,
0: 1990, uh, when I started working for Ryan Hughes. But actually, 1988, I started working for Mike Brown at Amateur races.
1: Wow, we're working for Brownie the year that I was born, back in 1988. That's incredible, my friend. Uh, like I said, Chad Watts, welcome to the Big MX Show, my friend.
0: Oh, thank you very much.
1: So uh, how are things down there in at uh, Watts Perfections? What are you currently working on?
0: Getting ready, a lot of motors and suspension for the red wind, which everybody's leaving next Wednesday, Thursday, to go there and then some custom bikes doing a magazine bike customer suspension motors cylinder head mods you know pretty much covered up so to speak
1: always known for uh building some of the most beautiful bikes uh, in the pits uh for uh guys like ricky carmichael and uh and ryan hughes uh, back in the day. like, what are, what are some of the projects that you've got on the go right now other than uh, getting uh, some bikes ready for uh, Loretta Lynn's?
0: Well, we got done with that um, Manny Dawson Steam bike and the uh, 1980 Lugan replica from Johnny O'Meara. Mm-hmm. We built them here, but, of course, it was with the uh, Moto Whips, my friend, starting a business out there to kind of get his business pumped up and get going. Then I'm doing another... Magazine bike for a two stroke test. And I actually had a call last week from a guy about interested that works for Philadelphia Eagles in the counting department, maybe about doing a theme bike, hopefully.
1: So have you found a little niche there in, in, in creating some of these theme bikes that uh, really allow yourself to get creative with uh, some of those, uh, the, the anodized bolts and uh, like some of the, the bolt packages that you can uh, put up, put together uh, like a really cool package as well as you've even got uh, recently uh, uploaded a, a picture of an engine that uh, looks like you completely polished uh, every single piece on that. Um, how many hours went into a, a project quite like that?
0: Well, it depends on the condition of the motor when I get it. If it's a new one, of course, it requires less time. If it's a used one, it requires twice the amount of time. I'll spend minimum 18 to 30 hours on a complete engine modified. And what people are calling, I did not come up with this, my watch sauce, so to speak, as far as making everything bling-bling on the outside. Yeah. So it's just... It's just a matter of, you know, time is what it takes. Not every motor I do, people do not want that because it's not in the budget. Uh, but they want, you know, the perfections of the modifications, the reliability, which all my motors have that. But if I put that little extra on the outside, some people like that. You know, that's their uh, discrepancy
1: so uh just so uh, people do like uh, some people know like if they uh, if they have uh, a, an engine that has been used and they want to do something uh like that get the watt sauce on the exterior of their engine uh what are they looking at?
0: Well, if, if it takes if it takes ten hours, it's gonna be eight hundred dollars it, you know, it just depends on like say conditioning the motor
2: Cause Fair enough. it takes so. a
0: while it takes a while to do that stuff. So, I mean, the guy can send me a motor, don't need, don't want that finish. I can rebuild it for 475 to $575 plus parts, you know, and that's in their budget. It's, that motor still going to have the same quality as what people are calling my watch sauce. It does not make a difference. It just does not have the exterior finish.
1: Right on. So so these are not just showpieces, but these are uh, top-of-the-line uh, performance engines that uh, are not only putting out the horsepower, but uh, they're reliable. And that's something that you prided yourself on throughout your entire career as a mechanic, am I right?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty uh, particular, and I definitely uh, pay attention and make sure anything goes out this door will not come back in this door unless it's just for proper maintenance or needs to be rebuilt.
1: Excellent. So, uh, what what all spawned this uh, wanting to take on um, a, uh, like this uh, building a business like this? Obviously, uh, you were a, a factory mechanic for a lot of years. Worked with uh, some of the greats. Won a lot of championships as a mechanic. Uh, you stepped away at the end of, I believe, the two thousand and three season, and uh, went ahead. And, um, and started your, your business. And so what was really the driving force behind you wanting to start your own business and, uh, and putting your stamp on some of these uh, beautiful engines that you uh, have rolling out the door?
0: I enjoyed what I did, that's for sure. But I did not want to be on the road when I was 50 years old and didn't have to worry about starting a business. So at the time when I resigned from Honda, I was 31 years old and I wanted to come back home by my family and, you know, start my own business and try to get it established. It's been 11 years and it's just now starting to make money, so to speak. Past 10 years, all the money has went back into the business, but I I just didn't want to be 50 and be on the road, let's put it that way.
1: Fair enough. Now, uh, obviously, this is a, a labor of love for you, Chad. Uh, you love working on the bikes, and you obviously, like, I can just hear in your voice that you take a lot of pride in this work. Uh, what are some of your f- uh, favorite bikes to, to work on uh, that you've worked on in the past, whether it be a bike build, a full bike, or uh, just a particular engine that happens to be uh, rather simple to work with? And
0: of any bike that I've ever built including whether it's the KHI Works 125 250 for Carmichael or the CR Works 250 or the CR 450 Works engines I built at Honda. Uh, The most trickiest bike was a 2002 KTM 65 I did. I shaved 15 pounds off of it, had a handmade swing arm, titanium, magnesium covers, uh, went to Twin Chamber Forks. It, it's really trick, and it actually that, has been hanging in the kid's bedroom because he outgrew it.
1: Was that that was for your son's bike?
0: That's actually for my buddy that owns Moto Whips. Okay, and he was I built it for him when he was twelve. No, when he was like nine years old, I built it for him out in California. That so, must.
1: That thing must have been a rocket. What was the power to weight ratio on that sucker? Uh,
0: way more than needed. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so uh, it, sounded, it sounded like a one twenty five national bike. That's what it sounded like, and still oh, does sure. to this day. He keeps it maintained.
1: Oh, I'm sure that thing uh, just did just. What I'm picturing just sounds like an absolute beast. Uh, uh, have you ever been approached uh, by any um, amateur parents to build uh, an, uh, a bike quite like that?
0: No, not no, not not like top riders. You know, amateur uh, like the red Lange riders that kind of style. They have so many different sponsors and so many different ties to the bike. You you, you cannot do that. Only way you could do that is if You pretty much. Supported the whole bike, or are you going to be stepping on other uh, people's toes, so to speak.
1: Right, because you wouldn't want to have to uh, cater to uh, certain brands or certain uh, restrictions when you're trying to create a masterpiece, quite like that. Yes, sir. Right on. So uh, before we get too far into this, uh, let's uh, let's loosen the screws a little bit and 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 uh, and uh, go through a, a segment called uh, Pick Your Poison. And this is brought to you by. Thirty-eight Ride Shop. Lee Stewart over at Thirty-eight Ride Shop does uh, all kinds of, uh, of of bike builds of his own. Uh, local shop here in Winnipeg. He also does uh, wheel lacing, and uh, one of the best guys at it locally. So uh, he's brought to you by uh, he, this section of the interview is brought to you by Thirty-eight Ride Shop and Lee Stewart. Uh, are you are you ready there, Chad? Yes, sir. These ones is basically just rapid succession. Uh, like, uh, I've got a, a list of some, some this or that, and you pick one or the other. No wrong answers, and uh, so uh, we'll start off with Outdoors or Supercross. Outdoors. High Point or Glen Helen? High Point. Moto or Rodeo?
0: Group Motos.
1: Top End Screamer or low Low End Grunt?
0: Top End Screamer.
1: Uh, thirty-second board girl, thirty-second board girl, or head referee, uh, board operator,
0: head referee. Gotta have a little more common sense up there.
1: I, uh, I, I, I figured you, you might pick that one. Uh, running or cycling? Cycling. Cardio or weight training? Weight. Salsa or guacamole? Salsa. Two-stroke or four-stroke? Two. 125 or 250 two stroke? One twenty-five or two fifty? Two-stroke. One. Uh the monster uh monster girls or trophy girls?
0: Doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: uh David Bailey or Rick Johnson?
0: Damn, you put me on the spot. Ah. But, um, David.
1: Uh little professor. Uh Jeff Emig or Jeremy McGrath? Thank you,
0: That's my good friends. So why do you gotta do this to me?
1: said uh, hey, these are there are no wrong answers, my friend. Um, and if either one of them are listening, I'll be super pumped.
0: Um I can't pick between those two. They're my good friends. I can't pick. Sorry.
1: Nope, uh can't pick. Uh can you pick between barbecue or Cajun? Barbecue. Talk or text? Yes. Night Owl or Early Riser? Night Owl. And that is the 38 Ride Shop questions. The uh, Pick Your Poison. Thanks so much for doing that. Hopefully, uh, now now that uh, I've put you on the spot a couple of times, the you're feeling a little bit more comfortable and we can head on to the rest of the interview. Um, so... Chad, like you've been working on these uh, beautiful bikes, and uh, so how did this uh, the the Mugen uh, replica bike all come about? This is one of those uh, if there if so. For those who don't know, check out uh, um, Watts Perfections. Check out this Mugen bike. It was done for uh, Johnny O'Mara, I believe. Or
0: it is a replica. Yeah, it's Moto. We've it, but we yeah we did it.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. How did that all come about, and what all went into that build?
0: Well, it came out. Uh, Justin, that uh, owns Motowhip, is, uh, flew out and watched to graduate from MMI, I think it was last November. Well, the plan was for him to come out here for two, three months at the beginning of this year to learn more stuff from me that MMI does not teach. Mm-hmm. Well, they sent three of their bikes back. The bikes got back here. Justin wanted to do the Miami Dolphin theme bike, do the bike for his father, and then the other bike... We were going to, he wanted to originally do like the David Bailey kind of orange plastic. And I said, man, it'd be cool to do this. So his father and him and me just started pulling up pictures from the old school days and just took like the bike apart. Had like the brake calipers done black, had the hubs done black. Did Mm -hmm. the engine with the heat cooling process coating and just kind of just carried on, did, did a little bit, made sure, did a little bit more, made sure, and it came out, it came out pretty insane.
1: Yeah, it's a, that red engine is absolutely beautiful for those who uh, haven't checked it out, go check it out, uh, beautiful, uh, you got the silver hardware on it with the uh, silver Kickstarter on an all red engine. Uh, how hard was it to work with uh, something like that and, and not scratch the damn thing?
0: Not too
1: hard as long as you as long as you just pay close detail and pay attention to what you're doing you're a okay so where did this all uh this all start uh, chad you've you've been working on motorcycles for a long period of time uh I don't dare to guess uh your your current age but obviously you've been working on it a very long time so uh did you did you grow up racing uh and uh where did this love for uh working on bikes start
0: uh well, I grew up actually where my shop sits is on an old farmland and had it all done up, built the shop. My parents' farm is just about a half a mile up the road. So when I lived there, younger, we didn't have that much money. And if uh, the bike broke, you know, had to figure out how to fix it. I was used to working on tractors. I started working on tractors and barns when I was eight years old. So I just took my bike apart one day Dad came home and said, son, if you can get that bike back together. I think I was 11 years old, maybe. He mm-hmm. said, you need to do that. So I got it back together, and it just started snowballing from that effect.
1: So at first it was just a repair job, and it uh, soon eventually blossomed into uh, working on the motors to uh, squeeze a couple extra horsepower. Uh, were, you, were you racing or just, uh, just riding at that point?
0: Just riding. Just riding in the cow faster.
1: I mean, did you did you ever uh, line up behind the gate uh, as a as a youth?
0: Actually I did. Uh the first time was Carlsbad when I was Ryan Hughes mechanic. Him and Dave Castillo, which Dave is young Castillo is right. that owns um, you know, C- or so started CTI. Yeah. I rode no, Dave's R M one twenty five and I freaking hole shotted the first moto I ever raced and I was nervous as could be. And I ended up getting like fourth or something in the beginner class. Brian Castillo was just boarding me. That's did kind that. of his specials. <laughs> yeah, Ron was about getting a fight in the mechanics area because some guy was trying to get me out of the way of his rider. And we know Rhino's attitude.
2: I was going to say at this that time, I was,
0: at all. I was 18, he was 17, but he was full of spirit. So <laughs> race, race Paris a couple times, race Day in the Dirt. And that's it, so I'm better working on them than riding them. That's for sure
1: so who's uh who who is that first rider that gave you a chance to uh to work on work on a bike?
0: Well, it' was actually the way all this really started was uh when I turned sixteen, got my driver's license I went down to a shop, which he's well known. He used to build Bradshaw's Jeff Fenton's mm-hmm. motors. Quite a few of them back in the eight, uh, nine eighties mainly, right. uh, bars competition. Went down there and asked for a job and started there and got to meet Mike Brown, who used to build his motors and stuff, and going to amateur races. And got to meet Tim Green. Uh, at that time, it was like Mark Johnson and Jose Gonzalez, Mercedes Gonzalez's brother. Got to meet them and just started revolving and, and that took me to california
1: like uh d- dare I ask what you were getting in return for your services uh as a as a young uh wrench trying to prove yourself what was the pay like uh when you first started to catch your teeth in uh the world of uh of wrenching
0: when I moved to California in January of nineteen ninety I got a plane ticket and made a hundred dollars a week.
1: Hundred bucks a week, just under yep. uh, just under twenty bucks a day. That seems doable.
0: Yep. As one of the stayed with Ryan Hughes, and at that time we lived with his mom and dad. So you got to consider the food and the room and board and all that. But I made a hundred dollars a week my first year.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's quite the struggle. What was your What was your greatest challenge uh, as you developed your skills uh, um, uh, with the toolbox?
0: My greatest challenge probably was not wanting to move back to North Carolina when I moved to California. I was about ready to jump on that plane and come back home. But as far as mechanical skills, um, working with other people because I've got my ways and I like my ways. Not that anybody else's ways are wrong, but I like the way I do stuff and that's the way I am going to do it.
1: Uh, you know like it sounds like you uh you always long to be back in uh in north carolina and that's where you eventually did go uh only 13 years into uh into a, uh, a career as a professional mechanic and that is a long time doing it obviously there's guys like uh, tony polluti who are still doing it and, and started a whole lot uh uh earlier than you did um what uh what fueled that passion to want to pursue a career as a mechanic, even though you still felt that uh, your uh, your heart is where home is?
0: Um, I mean, it's kind of like you see both sides of the fences. Um, being a mechanic is a great, great thing. There's nothing better than winning a race in front of sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 people or like at Motocross Nations in France, when it was Vestrana, uh Carmichael, and Hughes. I mean, Carmichael's my rider. Brian Hughes used to be my rider. So I had two riders representing the USA. And yet, uh, there may have been 100,000 people there. I don't know how many. But here on Chant USA, and uh, just the thrill of winning, that, that was a pretty cool feeling.
1: How many championships do you have to your credit there, uh, Chad?
0: Uh, I've got 10 pro. And when I was in mechanic, I think I got, as far as amateur mechanic, I got like 14. And then we've won a few since I started Watch Perfections. Hmm.
1: That's that's incredible. Uh who are some of the riders uh that that are noteworthy that you're uh that you've been uh working with at the amateur level now?
0: Who are worthy?
1: Yeah, well no, who who would be a noteworthy or uh, uh one of the standout riders that you're currently working with, uh for to make it uh Loretta Lynn's
0: effort? Well I gotta I'm not gonna mention their names because, you know, it's, I didn't ask the parents to do it, so I don't like saying that kind of stuff, but I've got a top um last believe it or not fifty rider that one is regional, and I actually got the motor done last night, and the guy that helped me out drove it to the training facility today so it could be tested tomorrow because we go out of our way for our customers. we got to do what we got to do um, I've got another rider that help incognito a little bit, Mm -hmm. that rides for another team. And I have another one from a training facility that I'm doing a 125 motor for that will be there. And then there's a couple other people that use my miscellaneous stuff. You know, I'm nothing like pro circuit having a 100 riders there that use their stuff. You know, I'm not nothing like that. And I don't know if I'd ever want to be something like that.
1: That's, that's too much. Exactly. Fair enough. So um last year you had the pleasure of working with one Jerry Robin and I believe uh there was quite a few motorcycles that went into uh putting one two thousand or nineteen eighty five uh, C R two fifty together. Um in uh tell us a little bit about uh that how that all came together and uh um, some of the struggles that you dealt with uh trying to keep that bike uh on two wheels.
0: But well, I got a call about 10 days before I actually a your race and asked if I would do this from south of the border where he trains at the ILMX facility. Right. And I said, okay. So, shoot, I loaded up my porting tools, took everything that I needed, stayed down there for, they said don't only come down for two days. I ended up staying, it was either, I think, seven or eight days or something. I used six bikes to make one bike for that 1985 and actually set up my porting tools in the uh, bathroom and poured it on the sink because that's the only place I had good light at. Poured the cylinder. We built the bike, and the only thing we didn't have was a new crankshaft for it or a rebuild kit, and that's what ended up happening going out during practice after a minute crank went out. So we put another 23-year-old, no, excuse me, 29-year-old crankshaft in it, 28 years old, and, and that that's one, when uh, that lasted.
1: That that so, one uh, stayed together for them.
0: Yep. Yeah, that bike actually sounded pretty cool.
1: I was going to say, uh, once you got your hands on that thing, uh, i uh, was 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 it pretty uh, was it was it something you were proud of to see roll off uh, roll out of the um, the pits in in Lorrenaans
0: yeah and, yeah it was it, it was just it was more of the challenge in seeing that you could do it and fulfill it and that way the kid could race you know that was the main objective more for him you know so he could race than you know for us it was just a good and it was
1: the right thing to do. Absolutely, and uh, not a stranger to doing the right thing. Uh, we're off. Obviously, uh, Chad Watts, you're you're one of the most uh, prolific um, mechanics that has has ever graced the sport. Obviously, uh, working very hard over the years, um, but uh, you've also had some good times throughout your your career. Uh, what are some of the uh, what's what's your best Ryan Hughes story? Maybe someone one that uh, might might uh, make a few uh, listeners laugh.
0: Like the best stories?
1: What's your best story on the guy?
0: On which one? On
1: Ryan Ryan Hughes. Oh, Ryan. Yeah.
0: Oh, let's see. Let me think of a good one I can repeat. Um, <laughs> oh, I was only out in California for like two weeks. He was dating his girl, girlfriend at the time, which is Sherry. <laughs> We're driving down the road in her convertible. Yeah. And some guy says something. Rhino yells at the guy, pulled off on the side ramp. Guy rolls his window down. Rhino about pulls him out the window and beats the crap out of him. And I've only been in California California for two weeks, and I was 17 years old. I'm like, what am I getting myself into?
1: Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great introduction to uh, the Sunshine
0: State. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was my introduction. So Rhino's doubt. a good guy. That's for sure.
1: Absolutely. Uh, definitely, uh, uh, he's got his own quirks, uh, as, as most people do, and definitely set in his ways. Um, how did the, the whole Pro Circuit job come about? I, I know you worked with the, the Team Green program. Was that a stepping stone to eventually uh, working with, uh, with the riders from the Pro Circuit um, team?
0: Well, actually, when I was Ryan's mechanic when I moved out there, was Team Green. Mm-hmm. Went from Team Green to factory support at Cali. Then went from factory support to factory Cali. And that's when I crashed that box band back in 92. And we uh, went from there the following year to Pro Circuit because Pro Circuit was focusing on 125s where more factory in-house Cali was focusing on 250s. So that led me over to Pro Circuit. And then I stayed there from those years to in ninety eight.
1: When you uh you went with uh Ricky over back to the uh factory cowrie rig?
0: Yes. Yep. I was there for Ryan till ninety five and then in ninety six I was P. Sean's mechanic. And how did you enjoy that? Um I'm glad he's back every I'm glad he's back overseas
1: Fair enough. Um, so, um, describe your first meeting to, uh, to Mitch Payton, obviously, like he's, uh, there's a lot of lore that goes on with a guy like Mitch Payton, uh, not enough people really know, uh, too, too much about the guy, uh, but, uh, so, uh, how is your relationship with him? Uh, how are things early on? How do your, uh, personalities mix together, and, uh, where do you stand now?
0: Mitch expects the best out of you, and he's going to drive you to do your best, He's a good guy, but if you want to work there, you better be willing to put the effort in. Uh, As far as getting along with him, of course, everybody butts heads with Mitch every now and then. That's going to happen. But he's a great guy. He works his butt off. He wants to see not only him and Pro Circuit succeed, he wants to see people around him succeed. So working for him, people should you know, uh, be proud and privileged that they have worked for him. So, he, he's a great guy.
1: Excellent. Well, you, you definitely takes a lot of pride and are very passionate about what you do as well. Is that something the two of you uh, had in common and still do?
0: Yep. Still A-OK. I saw him at the Redlands last year. I see him. Hopefully he'll be there this year. I can remember in 97, and See, that's when I own my house in Minity down in Temecula area. Yep. And... David Pingree, was pro circuit rider. He rented a room from me, and then I had Lamont, which was Craig Decker's mechanic. He went rented a room from me. Well, Pingree and we got done testing. We came back from Cali Track. Us mechanics did getting the bikes ready for the next day. Well, here comes Carmichael in, and I was walking from the race shop up to the customer division because it was after six o'clock. And everybody drinks beer after 6 o'clock at first Circuit. Everybody does. Yeah. So I was going to, to get me a beer because after 6. Here comes Ricky in, and here comes Mitch. He's going the same direction I was. And I think actually I got him a beer out of the refrigerator. But so here comes Ricky and Pingree with an in and out cup. Uh-oh. And Mitch goes, huh. He has in out Ricky goes, I just got a nice tea. And Mitch goes, hmm goes, let me smell your fingers. Mitch grabbed his right hand. He said, he had french fries. Ricky goes, all right, I got a number two combo. Well, he was chubby and his mom was on his butt about training. So Mitch didn't know really how serious Mama C was. But just so happened, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, intercom comes on. Mitch, phone call. Mama Carmichael insurance with the phone talking to her because that's the first time ricky had been to california without her yeah and, and it's good i caught your son getting in and now boy you can about hear her scream over the whole shop <laughs> get, him on, get him on the phone now he got on the phone he looked like a little two-month-old pumpy puppy whining he told him because I think Mitch made him put it on speaker because he thought it was funny. Um, said, I'm bringing my... No, no, she told Mitch this. She said, I'm bringing my skills, putting them in my bag, and if he's gained one pound, he's working out twice as hard. And Mitch's eyes lit up, and he hung up the phone, and he said, ooh, we got him in trouble. <laughs> so she was serious, and she drove him.
1: Now, set the scene for us the first time you laid eyes on a young Ricky Carmichael riding in person for the very first time. And uh, what was it like working with him during the early days of his career?
0: Actually, what's funny is when I worked at Bars Competition back in 1988 89, we built Carmichael's KX-60s back then. But uh, I remember at Gainesville National in '91. Uh, Verino, Krodowski, Barocco, and Wardy. I said, hey, come, let's come watch this kid. And it was Carmichael. And remember, I remember him coming out of that drop-off and coming up Gatorback Hill there and doing that tabletop on that 65 or 60, whatever it was back then. And Kid used to come to amateur races, like at Mount Morris, and he would come over and sit on my bike and play with my throttle. Um, so I know him a long time, but I always kind of knew the kid was going to be good. Just didn't know how good, but he definitely exceeded from what everyone thought.
1: Definitely, no. You you uh, you had the pleasure of um, arguably. Uh, Wrenching for uh, Ricky during the prime of his career when he first uh, laid down that uh, perfect season in 2002, and uh, one of the quotes I remember from that era is that a lot of people thought that when he was on his edge, or that uh, the edge that he had was 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 truly where where like he he was had topped out. And uh, you may have may have seen him at at, uh, at even far greater than most people had were able to witness. Um, explain that a little bit.
0: If he tried to ride smooth and pay total attention, he's going to bust his butt. But mm-hmm. if he was pin swapping, doing what he wanted to do, he he was fine. That's just that was just his riding style, and that's what worked for him.
1: So what, what's uh, what's your best uh, RC story? Uh, possibly uh, something from his 125 days.
0: Man, can't think. I sent On you that, that one. before. 125. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I scared. know. I've been too so busy building
1: motors. Hey, I know. I'm just. Oh, okay.
0: It. I got a good one. There you go. Gainesville,
1: 1997. Okay, you don't the know
0: first seven. one. You don't... Yep. Goes out, gets about on the 0, 10th, 12th place start. Comes all the way to the pack. Catches Lanson for the lead with like two laps to go. Right on him, but don't pass him. He comes in. He, he told me this. this, He said, man, I was waiting for him to get tired. I could have passed him. And we looked at him and said, Lanson, don't get tired. And the next thing I know, here's his mom making him a grilled cheese wouldn't take his pants or his dirty boots off. He's walking around with his pair sticking out and walking around to all the other teams and jacking with all the other riders and mechanics. One of those mechanics are working on the bikes while I'm working on his bike for the second moto. second moto, he goes out and wins by 15 seconds. And we win overall. And at that time, Kevin Wyndham, lived with uh, Mitch Payton out in California stayed at the house when he was out west. And when Ricky, when Linda was trying to hang with Ricky, the second moto, of the first few laps, Linda told Mitch straight up, he said, that's the fastest I've ever went in my career. He said, I got scared because I was going so fast I had to back off. Wow. So that's, that's a true story.
1: That's incredible, you know, uh, to hear that uh, someone as smooth and calculated as uh, as Kevin Windham uh, that may have been one of the first of, of many times that he tried to hang with uh, uh, with Ricky. That uh, that he just um, basically that that pace um, spooked him because there was a lot of times when uh, one could argue that uh, skill wise and uh, riding style wise, uh, it doesn't get much better than um, than than. Than Kevin, but uh, as far as just uh, pure speed and aggression, uh, it, it it comes down to uh, the the big number four.
0: Yeah, but when Kevin when Kevin Wyndham was on it, his day and he was truly on it, you couldn't touch him. No. So there was nothing you could do about it.
1: You, Unadilla O three or watch 03. O
0: yeah, three. I can remember. Uh, his first national at uh, Mount Morris when he led the first moto with about a lap to go. And I forget, it was either Henry or Lampson passing. Yeah. And he finished second. Because we, we used to carry cylinder and head and carburetor and ignition for him in our semi. Okay. So when his bike came to the pro race and he raced the national, we would go over and put it on the bike.
1: Really? And so, then
0: when he, got, when he got done, that came back off and went in our semi and we put his normal spec back on his bike.
1: That was what the support did, that he received through uh, Pro Circuit.
0: Yeah, yeah it just, it's something that didn't want to get out and something that had to be maintained. You just could not just give it to them and let him race it every weekend because it was going to grenade. It had to be maintained.
1: That's also something that uh, I believe was um um co- very common in the nineties actually that where where uh, uh like full engines or even pieces of engines were uh were basically loaned out for the weekend for the weekend and then uh taken back at the end i believe uh, even uh in two- in nineteen ninety six I believe that um buddy antonez uh getting a getting a full motor from mitch
0: yeah it's actually, I think it was one of my motors after Pichon got hurt. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was my motors from Pichon, if I'm not okay. mistaken, It's what it was. If not, then it was a motor. So we carried extra, of course, our extra motors. We carried an extra motor in, in case a pro circuit rider blew up a KX-125. We had a, a spec for them to have. Right. But buddies, I think he got my Pichon stuff after Pichon got got hurt or not hurt, but got diagnosed with whatever he had.
1: Okay, so uh, um, were you still working on the engines that, at that time, or uh, installing them uh, on race day, or uh, what, what was your uh, what was your capacity when uh, Pichon was out for the rest of the season? Let's
0: see, I was also 96, 96 and 98. I was team manager also at Pro Circuit, so I had okay. all that paperwork and all that stuff to take care of, plus be a mechanic. So after Sean got hurt, I did more testing and more dyno and more development is what I did. So That's so long ago. I can't tell you if I built Buddy's motor every week or if one of our other guys did. I, I can't answer that, but you you. I
1: forgot about it till you brought it up, but yeah, he did have a race motor. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so obviously, yeah, you have worked on uh, a lot of KX 125 and 250s, for that matter. Um, what uh, what is something that like, that's a part of your job that uh, um, like during your uh, professional career that uh, like you obviously you loved working on the engines? Uh, what was your least favorite part about the uh, about the
0: occupation? And the fly. <laughs>
1: Other, other than, tra- other than the other, other than the travel, because I know that wears. On a
0: um, lot of the least other thing probably would have been that sometimes we didn't have the organization of the races back then. Mm-hmm. Were sometimes a little bit off. We didn't have we didn't have near as much. I'll rephrase that. They were not off. We did not have near as much time in between motos as what they have now. And back in those days, you had one guy that built the bike. You don't have five guys like now that does everything, even though you may only see one or two guys.
1: Right, yeah. And
0: you you got 30, at that time, you had 30, 35 minutes to get your whole bike done. And we had to sometimes change whole motors due to how much compression we ran. At least we took the cylinder and heads off between Muggos, Reed Cage, did the carburetor, tires, air filter, and you knock that out in 30 minutes, you barely can breathe.
1: I was going to say, you guys are hustling. Uh, what, uh, there was uh,
0: no, there, there was no you guys. It was you guys and Mitch in his wheelchair on the other side of the bike and Jimmy Perry helping out between all four of us. So there was nothing like there is now. So we were huffing and puffing.
1: No doubt. they uh, had to uh, stay in shape. And actually, that's one of the things that uh, I think you pride yourself on as well, as being one of the most uh, fit uh, mechanics in the pits. Uh, where did that all come about?
0: Well, um, I, I know when I got in that accident back in 92, mm-hmm. um, it made me lose a lot of organs and I just said, I need to get myself in shape. So I just, once DeSean got hurt, I just started, actually, no, I'll rephrase that. All season, after Ryan used when he went to Cali and I was in-house doing race engine and stuff, I decided, hey, I'm just going to get in shape. So I just started going to the gym, lifting weights six days a week, training, and just made myself fit.
1: Excellent. No, it's, uh, it's, it's great. It was great to see as I am an enthusiast of, uh, of, of weight training. It's, it's, uh, it's a great way to uh, get that release. And there's not quite uh, a similar feeling than walking out of the gym after a solid workout. Um, Getting back a little bit to uh, what's available over at uh, Watts Perfections, what are some of the services and products that you provide uh, as, uh, as part of um, uh, Watts Perfections, and uh, where can someone go to get more information about that stuff?
0: As far as services, of course, two-stroke, four-stroke, cylinder head mobs, four-stroke, bow seat work, you want beryllium seats put in different angles put it on the seats, no problem. Uh, case case mods, full internal transmission, internal engine parts, super finished. All the test uh, coatings to make the engine run cooler. Uh, ceramic coatings, four uh, stroke carb FCR mods, uh, remap of the EFI. Suspension, basic rebuild or revalve. If you want custom a kit, KYB with billet lugs, no problem. Um, if you just simply just want to bring your bike in for an oil change and oil filter, and air filter service, no problem. We have a service department, also. So we try to we try to tailor, you know, in all areas, but our th- true blood is full on racing. Absolutely,
1: the racing's in your blood, and uh, and and your name's on the on the sign out front. So uh, I got I've always uh, as um, I've always had a lot of respect for someone who was willing to put their last name on their on the company that they've developed. And uh, so um, tell us a little bit about that decision to go with Watts Perfections, and uh, what does it mean to you to have uh, your name on the on the front of the door? Well, be truthful.
0: We came up with Watts Perfections. David Bailey. Really? Yep. He was he was up there at the house when I resigned from Honda, and I had been working on his, Mitchell's bike, his son, not Mitchell, Mitchell's brother, but his son's bike. Right. And we were up there working on it, and he was up there, and he said, well, you're a perfectionist. And he just said, hey, here we go. Watch perfection? He said, you need your name on it. So that's what it came up with. He told his brother Mitchell. Mitchell came up with the W logo, and that's the way it became.
1: So when you first uh, resigned from uh, from Honda, and there it was a, a huge buzz uh, when when that went down. You headed back to North Carolina. Were the roots already laid for uh, Watts Perfections, or uh, were you basically starting from scratch?
0: Mm, I weaned it. I pretty much woke up one day and said, I'm resigning from Honda. Woke up about a year and a half later said, I'm putting the house up for sale. Told my wife. And next day, there's a for sale sign. Deb called me and said, hey, there's 70-something acres for sale down here. Do you want it? I said, yeah. So... We got the, the funds together, and then my the, brother was going to move back home, so we split it in half because we had 120 acres up the road. So we split it in half here, and he got his, and so I built my shop down by the creek, and then when I can afford to build a house, I built mine on top of the land, and then his new house that's about 1,000 feet from my house will set. So we didn't have no roots. I had grading company here for two months. They moved forty six or forty seven thousand yards of dirt for this place to get built. So I started from scratch.
1: That's incredible, my friend. Uh, We've got some uh, uh, listener questions that were sent in uh, via email for you. Uh, There's looks to be about five or six of them. Uh, We feel like uh, um, answering a few of those.
0: Yes, you can. Yes,
1: you can. Perfect. This is uh, the West Side Honda Curious Question. To start off with Pat Hebert. He asks uh, After stepping away from your professional uh, mechanic career, uh, did you stay in touch with, um, with Ricky Carmichael? And uh, what was it like to uh, basically see his success, uh, including a perfect season, uh, with a machine tuned by Mike Gosler? Yeah,
0: it was definitely a privilege, it was definitely a chore and it was definitely a thrill hmm. and overall outcome yeah, there was some sw- sweat and some cussing and some screaming and pissing people off and busting your butt but you came out at the end and finished up what you were wanting to do so it's just, yeah, that answered your question I don't know if it did or not
1: <laughs> fair enough no it's it's it's, it's uh it, there's a lot that goes into this stuff and uh, you guys uh, you yourself have worked extremely hard to uh, uh, attain perfection in the in the world of uh, tuning engines I, I believe you've uh, you've damn near ch- achieved that if, if you haven't already next question is from Jalen carrier she asks uh, if you could work for one current rider uh, who would it be and why mm, no one I ain't going back on the road. <laughs> short short and simple. It ain't happening. Ain't happening. Um Richard Mellon asks if uh, if RC was to uh return to uh, Loretta Lynn's and hopefully got in shape beforehand, uh and uh and asked you to uh, wrench for him uh at the Lorettas, would you dust off the pit board? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh Devin Gibbs as uh, many champion, like uh, many champions, won with Ricky Carmichael. Uh, which stays? Which one stays closest to your heart?
0: Ninety-seven outdoor.
1: Outdoor is the very first one.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, who was the hardest racer to get along with during your working career? Pichon. Um, Blair McDonald asked, "Who's the most talented rider you've ever seen to not realize their potential?" I can only think. There's just a
0: couple I'm trying to think of the best
1: one. Um, like maybe a guy who was amazing on practice day that just couldn't put it together during yeah, the race, um, or someone that just partied too much what and,
0: they didn't have. Oh, probably Austin Stroop
1: It's a good. That's a yeah. I, I I think I'd agree with that. Uh, I think he had uh, a whole lot left in the tank before uh, he uh, has decided, I guess, well, C keeps saying he wants to make a comeback, but I don't think that's uh, in the cards anymore. Uh, Lee Stewart asks, uh, what is the most badass factory bike that you ever got a chance to work on, both 125 and 250? So you got to name two bikes.
0: 2001 KX 250. That's the baddest factory bike. I think we shaved like 17 pounds or 18 pounds off of it from the 2000 season. That bike was a work of art, and it was a pain in my rear end to build because it took so much effort to make everything fit.
1: What the, well. I- one of, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask. Obviously, uh, uh, RC being a little guy, uh, he obviously known for having a very small machine. Uh, what were some of the most uh, things that he was most picky about when setting up a bike, and how do you get 17 pounds out of a 252 stroke?
0: 17 pounds, more magnesium, more titanium, uh, more carbon fiber, lighter foam, lighter seat base, and um, just just add up lighter internal engine parts, machine more. And you asked me the question I already forgot.
1: Uh, well, like what was what was some of the most uh, difficult things in terms of setting up a bike for such a small rider like Ricky? Or someone who he oh, like definitely knew what he wanted uh, to put together?
0: He was very, very particular about his seat. Like on the I had, I don't know, 9 or 11 different Seats in the truck with new covers on, them, different shapes, different hides, different foam density, and he would use the seat for a couple weeks. Oh, I don't like this one, but if I could throw it away, because maybe two weeks later he might would really like it. And then sometimes he would show up. Hey, I want to use my practice bike seat. He brings me the seat. Looks like a freaking Great Dane has been chewing on it for a week. And I had to fix the poem, put a new cover on it, make it look good for my race bike. But that was the most difficult thing for him.
1: Definitely. Uh, So, like, obviously, you know what, Ricky was hard on stuff. And I don't want to make this all about uh, Ricky, but you did work for him for quite a long time. And I know you guys uh, were very close in terms of your relationship. Um, First of all, how hard was he on some stuff? And is there any truth... To the uh, the like uh, the story that once uh, he made the switch from the, the Kawasaki's to the Hondas, that there was a big pile of Kawasaki work stuff that may or may not have been bulldozed.
0: Yeah, I took we took and uh, tore the tore the bikes apart, and uh, I just kept like the uh, the hub and the triple clamps off the Calleys, and I just took them back with the, and told them to dig a hole and bury them. And so, we, yeah, we did that. And then I come back about a year later to take more stuff apart. And, and somebody had went through all the parts and took the bikes apart, which is pretty funny.
1: <laughs> so, uh, like, how hard was he on stuff? Like, like, what kind of how many hours is he putting on practice bikes throughout he, a week? He, or,
0: he, could, he could tear up a junkyard with a glass hammer. No doubt. And but nah, practice bike only last two weeks. And he that's
1: had the same race he had the same bike to practice on as he had what he
0: raced on. The
1: exact same. Wow. So so, that's, there, uh, there. so what all what all goes into building a race bike? A lot of people like uh they, they, they hear about a mechanic having to build a race bike. Uh where does it all start and uh, uh how do you work towards the finished product?
0: Uh, pretty much starts you get a, you get to do testing with Japan. They go back to Japan, make what, so to speak, at that time was K-H-I, and they would uh, make what parts you needed, say, for Carmichael's bike. Maybe uh, image was different, and you get the bike, but then as soon as you got it, you tore it down the frame. You did everything that you needed to do wanted to do to it. And you had that bike built for the first race, but then you also had pretty much another whole bike apart, ready to go if parts are needed, and another extra engine, and, and all the spare parts. So, you would, you would be, uh, spend two weeks, and hardly no sleep, because Japan shuts down around Christmas time. So, if you don't get your parts, in Japan before Christmas you don't get them to around New Year's and at that time and was four days later so you'd be at the race shop for two or three days straight with only a couple hours sleep a night so that was one of the most difficult times
1: that that's uh, that's incredible the, the the way you built some of those uh, bikes back in the day. I know some of those uh, uh, the factory Kawasaki two fifty two strokes as well as the Hondas were just an absolute uh, feast for the eyes. There uh, must have been a lot. You taken a lot of pride working on them? Yes, no?
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely take pride in anything. That's for sure. I don't care if it's bikes or life in general. I definitely take pride in stuff.
1: What uh, what are some things that are really important to uh, Chad Watt, Chad Watts? What uh, what drives you and uh, and what motivates you to uh, to achieve the level of perfection that you have uh, have have, have a culture of? Well,
0: what matters most in the important family, that's first, and then second is, you know, the business. Force the business you got to take care of to support your family, but uh, family comes first, and that's one of the reasons
1: why I got off the road. Excellent. So uh, you've you've got some uh, some young 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 kids as well, or how how old are your children?
0: Oh, only we only have one.
1: Okay, you're, she, you're...
0: she's a little she's a little over four years old, going on twenty.
1: Four years old, going
0: on twenty. <laughs> yep. That's uh. That's awesome. Uh, any plans
1: to have her on? Uh, have her riding at all?
0: She already knows how to turn the handle. Perfect.
1: Now, uh, one of the things I wanted to speak to you about is one of the things that I know is very close to your heart, and you've been, uh, uh, one of the only times that I've ever seen you be outspoken on social media was uh, your stance on the two-stroke, four-stroke uh, debate. And like, for the most part, four-stroke engines now, and the lack thereof development of the two-stroke machine has basically put that uh, argument to bed. But uh, where do you stand in terms of uh, how, why you feel so passionately about, you um, like continuing to uh, to develop the two-strokes, or why they should still be used in competition?
0: Well, when it comes to building, to me, it doesn't matter which one it is. But for a customer, average customer, that has their average budget to spend to maintain the bike for their kid, whether a daughter or a son, the two-strokes then go in, get a top end done, long as it's just like piston, rings, gaskets, and labor, you know, four five hundred bucks the most. Four stroke, the time you do valve seats and you do valves, timing chain, water pump, piston, you're at least twelve hundred and if they won't modify them, Compression stuff, then you're at least 1800 minimum, and that ain't counting any modifications. Well, every parent can't afford to do that. So that takes away from the parents to be able to maintain the bikes properly for their kid to race as the bikes start fatiguing. It isn't the parents' fault by no means. It's just money don't grow on a tree. Parents can only do so much if it's not in their budget. But at the same time, their kid wants to race, so it's kind of like a catch 22. So, parents can way more be able to maintain and more better equipment when it comes to a two stroke. And it's, in my opinion, and I know I'll piss a lot of people off, manufacturers, but I really don't care. Two strokes are more safer for riders to ride, especially when it comes to maintenance.
1: What uh, what makes them so safe other than the maintenance? Pardon? What what makes them safer other than the, the maintenance side of things? Like, obviously, you could stay on top of a two-stroke more, but uh, in terms of um, what else makes them safe?
0: But This this is my opinion. Yeah, no, I, that, hey, this is why I have you on. So, it's riders, they don't, a lot of riders panic, don't keep the clutch in, front end dies. You get know, a hundred and ten pound rider on a 250F is making major horsepower. They can't control it, especially if the suspension is not set up proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can go on and on and on, but that, that's just that's just the way I look at it.
1: Absolutely, you know what I uh, I definitely connect with that because uh, at the beginning of last season, uh, obviously you know, here in Canada we have uh, we have a riding season that's about six months long. Um, I was faced with the decision on whether or not to ride uh, one of my older 250Fs that I had finished racing on in 2010 before having shoulder surgery, um, or, or or come back on uh, my dad's 252 stroke that he purchased for himself back in 2005, and. Obviously, having not ridden a two-stroke for quite some time, I was kind of all thumbs at the, uh, at the from the very beginning. But uh, as far as when I looked at it in terms of how I was going to be able to stay on top of uh, maintaining the bike, uh, I definitely saw myself being able to afford uh, the maintenance and repair work on a, a two-stroke that I would honestly be able to work on myself much to the... Uh, dis like s- skepticism of my friends. I can work on the two strokes, whereas I don't have the ability on the four strokes. So it's definitely better on my pocketbook book. So uh, I've uh, i I've always got a fresh machine, and uh, if 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 nothing else gives you a peace of mind, I think it's that, right? Yes,
0: yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, it's all about safety. I mean, that's the way I look at it. It's, it when you do a when you work on something, you gotta make sure, you're not only making sure the product is good, but you're making sure it is 110% safe, because you got to think about that kid, because that kid getting hurt goes into a hospital bill, and it's yeah. even worse. I mean, that's like if I take it to something apart, and it's a $10 part, it's worth changing it instead of having a $2,000 medical bill.
1: Totally, I absolutely agree with you, my friend. Although, of course, in Canada we've got uh, healthcare, but uh, there's the, the price to pay for uh, for injuries uh, sustained in motocross is um, sometimes uh, life threatening as well as uh, debilitating for the rest of your life. And you want to stay as safe as you can. And if that means uh, riding a, a two stroke machine, I'm all for it. Especially because uh, what sounds better than uh, than a two stroke uh, top revs.
0: Nothing sounds better than a good high-resin 125 two-stroke with a high-resin rider on it. That's the best sound of all to me when it comes to something on the track.
1: Couldn't agree more, my friend. And coming from uh, the, the ace tuner, Chad Watts, that's uh, one heck of a statement. You know what, Chad? I've had you on for an hour and ten minutes long. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. It's been a thrill for me. And uh, I just uh, I can't thank you enough for taking some time tonight to, to take some time aside in your shop to uh, speak with, uh, with me. I'm absolutely humbled by your appearance on the show. And uh, if it's all right with you, I'd love to have you on again sometime. No
0: problem. Anytime. Just let me know.
1: Excellent, Uh, Chad Watts. Thank you again so much on behalf of everyone here at the Big MX Show. Uh, You have yourself a fantastic evening.
0: Same to you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.